0: Today is Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 45. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean.
1: Good morning. For those joining us virtually visiting with us, my name is Bill Smith. I'm one of the pastors here at Renewal Main Line. It is an incredible joy to be with you here at our new location this morning, out here at Sacred Heart Academy in Bryn Mawr. And I can't tell you how excited I am that we have this ability to start here, especially as it is 50 degrees outside and raining this morning. As I wrote to you this past week, it's been a really long road to get here. Uh, We've been pursuing this option over a number of months now, not this one, but a lot of different locations, a lot of twists and turns. I'm not going to bore you with all the details and all the things that did not work out, but just as we were thinking that we were going to have to settle for an indoor option that was not going to really work out well for us, suddenly this option became available, and it is perfect for what we need. It lets us meet safely right now, In the mainline area on a Sunday morning there is plenty of space here it's what we needed now and it also sets us up for the future it lets us have a place where we can invite our friends and our neighbors people who are moving into the area who are looking for a church can now come and visit and we can expand later when it's safe to do so and restart our children's ministry it's exactly what we needed and it came to us exactly when we needed it which you know that's how God tends to work right He doesn't give you things that are way too far in advance. He gives them to you when you need them. He promises to take care of all of your needs and then calls you to trust him. So I want to urge you to continue to be thankful. I asked you last week to make sure that you were praying for the details to work out. They did. So now it's our opportunity to be thankful and to appreciate what God has done for us. This week as David said this is our soft launch it allows us to test and evaluate our systems make sure that everything is working well and then next week we will open the doors wide for anyone who would like to come who feels that this is safe at this point in time at for 10:30 a.m. service we'll continue to live stream the 10:30 a.m. but let me invite you please if you can plan to be here next week at 10:30 as David said, all the information that you're gonna need will be on our homepage early this week. You can go to www.renewalmainline.org. That's renewal mainline, all one word. You'll see there uh, the different kinds of things to expect when you come. And I look forward to worshiping with you next week. Look forward to connecting and reconnecting with as many of you as possible. Today, we're continuing our Sunday morning teaching series in the book of Mark. And today's passage starts off a little oddly. Jesus just had an amazing day of ministry one day earlier. He started by preaching in a synagogue, he cast out a demon, healed Simon's mother-in-law of a fever and spent that night healing many people who had diseases, casting out many demons because people were just flocking to him where he was staying. Now by any way that you measure, that sounds like a ministry success, right? Real ministry that met real needs, that people really wanted not just one or two people but a lot of people and here it is the next day people are looking for Jesus again we would think of that as a success Simon Peter certainly thinks it is he's up and out that morning looking for Jesus why people are coming and they're knocking on his door and they're asking where Jesus is could we see him and that must have been so strange for him to look people in the eye and say to them um he he's not here No, uh, no, I, I, I don't know where he is. It's a little odd. People are absolutely taken with Jesus. They want more, but he's gone. He had a spontaneous, wildly successful night of ministry, but he didn't stick around to see if anybody else might need him the next day. So Peter and the other disciples go looking for him. He wasn't easy to find. Verse 36, they had to search for him. They found him eventually in what is talked about as a desolate place. Realize they must have had to do a lot of searching to get there. They find him there, off by himself, and Peter says, Verse 37, everyone is looking for you. Hey, Jesus, I'm not sure if it occurred to you, but you've got a great thing going here. People like what you're offering. In fact, they like it so much, they want more. They're looking for you. Like right now, they're looking for you. Peter's trying to be helpful. But Jesus doesn't think he's helpful. Jesus doesn't think he should go back. He doesn't think that everyone looking for him is a good thing. Now why is that? It's because there's something in the way that they're looking for him that does not line up with why he's here. Looking for is actually one word in the Greek. Both of those English words are one word in the Greek. It's a word that starts another theme in the book of Mark, a theme of looking for Jesus in a way that's not good. That word shows up 10 times, nine of which happen before the resurrection. And out of those nine times when people are looking for Jesus before the resurrection, all nine are bad. The first two times it's to interfere with Jesus and his ministry. The next two times express a sense of disbelief or faithlessness. The remaining times people are looking for Jesus because they want to kill him in the book of Mark when people are looking for Jesus before the resurrection it's not because they want to follow him it's because they have their own agenda they want to control him they want to control his ministry and the frightening thing in this passage is that Simon does not realize that he doesn't see that the way that they're looking for Jesus could be a bad thing which means that Simon also has the wrong idea of why you should look for Jesus. He really expects that when he says to Jesus, everyone is looking for you, that Jesus will look at him and say something like, they are? They're they're looking for me? Everyone? Okay, well, I, I, I guess let's go back. Jesus doesn't say that. Verse 38, he says, let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. I came out of heaven. I came out of town because I'm here to preach. I'm here to preach the good news. That's how he started his ministry back in verse 14. Proclaiming the gospel of God. Proclaiming the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. Proclaiming that people should repent. That they should believe that God had come to rescue them. And that's the response that Jesus is looking for. He doesn't want people looking for him because he's this great miracle worker and that they want him to do more things for them. Instead, he wants to see that they want to hear him and then repent and believe. Apparently, Jesus does not see that in their reactions to him. And so basically he tells Peter, yes, they're, they're looking for me, but their looking has nothing to do with why I'm here. And so I'm not going to go back. They had their chance to repent and believe. They heard me preach. They heard the good news. I was in the synagogue, but they didn't repent and believe. They wanted something else from me, and so I'm moving on from them to go to others because I'm offering something that they're not interested in. Now, this is one of those very scary passages in Scripture. It's one that you can quickly skim over and not feel the weight of, the weight that it's really easy to miss Jesus because something else gets in your way. It's a theme in the book of Mark, and it's a theme down through church history, for as long as the church has been. Down through the ages, people want to use Jesus to justify their own agenda. They try to get him on board with what they want, rather than coming to him for what he's offering. And since it's so easy to do, we need to realize that we could do that as well if Simon and the other disciples, that Jesus already called to himself, if they could make the same mistake as the rest of the people in town, you and I have to take seriously that we can too. Mark understands that, that we can look for Jesus for all the wrong reasons and not even know that that's what we're doing. And so to help us, Mark gives us that very next story, the story of the leper, so that he can show us three things that will help us to make sure that we are looking for Jesus for the right reasons. The first thing that he shows us is our real need. The second thing he shows us is Jesus's willingness to meet that need. And the third thing that he shows is Jesus's effectiveness at meeting that need. Shows us our need. Shows us Jesus's willingness to meet that need and Jesus's effectiveness in doing so. First, we have to see our real need. Now, we've already learned in this chapter that Jesus can heal people. So why give us another account? What is special about this story of a man's healing that tells us something that the other ones did not? It's because, strictly speaking, this is not a healing. The man doesn't ask Jesus to heal him. He says, verse 40, If you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus responds to that request by saying, verse 41, I will be clean. Both the leper and Jesus are aware that the man needs far more than healing, he needs cleansing. Mark wants to make sure you really get that point because he uses the word clean four times in these six verses. Being clean is central to the account. But why is that? The answer comes, takes us back into the Old Testament, into Leviticus. Leviticus is the book that laid out in detail what the priests were supposed to do. And in chapters 13 and 14, there is a really long, long discussion on how to determine the differences between skin conditions that were benign and those that were malignant or infectious. And it told you not only how to tell them apart, but what to do with someone who's got the bad kinds. Now the dangerous ones, these were classified under the general heading of leprosy. That heading includes what we normally call Hansen's disease now, but the category in scripture is much broader than just the one form that we now call leprosy. What was true of all of the kinds, however, is that they resulted in the person being declared unclean. That didn't mean you were sick. Being declared unclean meant that you were defiled that you were not in a proper state so that you could approach God, that you were not fit for worship, that you were not able to be in the presence of God. You couldn't be in the presence of God and you could not be in the presence of God's people because uncleanness was contagious. If you were unclean, all you had to do was touch something or someone and whatever you touched would then become unclean. The uncleanness would transfer from you to whatever it was that you touched. Now there are a lot of things in the Old Testament that can make you unclean. Eating the wrong foods or eating the right food in the wrong way. Coming in contact with a dead body or with certain bodily fluids, all of those things could make you unclean and leprosy was one of those things. So if you were diagnosed by the priest as having one of these leprous skin conditions then not only did you have to keep your distance from God, you also had to keep your distance from his people. Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. You get the picture, can you see this person in your mind? Torn clothes, hair all messed up, covered face. It's a very, very vivid picture. One of the commentators referred to this appearance as a walking corpse, a social outcast who looked like they had just come out of a tomb. Now, can you imagine what it would be like To discover a spot on your skin one day. Something that didn't look quite right. Something that made you remember stuff that you had heard read from Leviticus. That made you remember what you would have to do if it was leprosy. What do you think you would do in that moment as you're looking at that spot? Denial sounds about right. That's not leprosy. That'll go away. But then it doesn't. Well, you do then? then you minimize. It's not that bad really. It's small. I, I'll bet it doesn't get any bigger. And then it does. So now you try to hide it. Pretend it's not there. Deceive other people. What they don't know won't hurt them. But then reality really starts to hit you. You can't deny it. You can't minimize it. There's no way to hide it as it spreads and you get depressed. You fall into self-pity why is this happening to me and then you give up you quit this is what life's always going to be now things are never going to get better my life is over it was literally a physical death sentence but it had this spiritual overlay this uncleanness uncleanness that then wasn't caused by sin but over time as you read the scripture you realize that uncleanness becomes a picture of what sin is like you have to remember here why God gave us scripture and what he's trying to do that he is progressively revealing his mind progressively revealing his heart to us that he is unpacking little bits of himself over time for us and that as he does that he Let's us sit there with one for a little while so that we can digest it and understand it before revealing something else about himself. And one of the key ways that he does this is that he takes something in the physical world that we are familiar with and he uses it to explain something in the spiritual world that we can't see but that is just as real as what we see in the physical world. And so he begins in the early books of Scripture to teach us about the nature of defilement of being clean and unclean about how easy it is to be defiled how hard it is to stay in a state of purity that lets you come into his presence how hard it is to stay clean and once his people are familiar with the idea of being clean and unclean he starts using that picture later as a picture of sin a picture of the evil that we're born with that's inside of each of us and so, for instance, later in the book of Isaiah, the prophet in chapter 6 talks about himself as a man of unclean lips who lives among a people of unclean lips. A man whose, impacts, whose sin impacts what he says and what he doesn't say and that that sin is then defiling him as he stands in God's presence. Or the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 36 says that Israel's actions and their lifestyle defiled the land Because the way that they lived daily life was like someone who was unclean before God. Or speaking for God, the prophet Haggai in chapter 2 declares that every work of Israel's hands is unclean. Everything they do, everything about them is defiled and it defiles whatever they touch. God has now revealed the true nature of uncleanness. It's not an external physical thing, it's an internal thing it's not something you catch from someone or something else it's inseparably tied up with who you are it's tied up with who human beings are it's not something that you can fix or cure on your own there are only two recorded incidents in the old testament of someone with leprosy being cured and both of those incidents required god's direct intervention this picture of sin and the impossibility of getting rid of it on your own is supposed to do it. It's supposed to help you understand sin is a really big deal. And it's to make you desperate to find a solution. I was really struck by something the governor of California said this last week. He spoke after the mass shooting in San Jose. And he talked about the numbness that many of us feel after one more of these incidents. He talked about the sameness of them. talked about the repeated cycle that takes place across the U.S. And he asked, quote, What the hell is going on in the United States of America? What the hell is wrong with us? Unquote. What is wrong with us? No disrespect to the governor or what he's trying to do to address gun violence, but respectfully, God's been answering the question of what's wrong with us throughout scripture for more than 3,000 years that he's given it to us. We just don't like his answer we want to find the answer to what's wrong with us in something outside of ourselves. We want to blame external social systems and structures alone. We want to blame an easy access to an abundance of military-grade weaponry, a culture of violence. We want to blame social systems and structures while ignoring that individuals are born with sin, born with a heart condition that wants nothing to do with God or his standards, A condition that leads us to rebel against God and to do horrible things to those who are made in his image now as I've said before a social system does have a role in expressing a sin-filled heart in this case in expressing a murderous impulse social systems can do it they can give permission to that impulse they can make it seem like it's a legitimate option they can give shape to that impulse socially approved or socially conceivable ways for that impulse to express itself, they can do that. And in that sense, systems need to be changed. They have a role. But that murderous impulse is not caused by the permission that a society gives to it. And it is not caused by the shape that a society allows it to be expressed in. That impulse is found in us. It's found in humanity worldwide. It's our sin nature that makes us sinners. It makes us commit individual acts of sin, not our society. Society can tempt us. It can train us. But the raw material, the impulse, comes within us. We sin because we are sinners. Change the system and what you will do is change the shape but you still won't get at the root of what's really wrong with us. Jesus taught, that, taught us that in the Sermon on the Mount when he equated murder and insults. It says that they come from the same root cause, from, the, from a heart that hates. A heart that wishes at times that we would never ever have to deal with someone again. A heart that believes that the world really would be better off if that person or those people just weren't around. A heart that under certain conditions and catalysts will murder someone to make them go away. But a heart, according to Jesus, that is just as happy to drive someone out of their presence with words and insults, if that'll suffice. Take away a broken social system and replace it with the best one possible. And there's still something wrong with us. You'll still have to deal with the murderous impulse inside of every one of us. What is wrong with us? God knows the answer to that question. And the leper does. He goes to the heart of what's wrong with him. Does he need to be healed? Of course he does. But he needs so much more than that. He needs his defilement removed, he needs to be able to stand in God's presence pure and holy and he knows that right now he can't he knows the awful truth that he can be healed he can be completely physically whole and still be defiled still be a spiritual corpse and so he goes right to that bottom line he says if you will jesus you can make me clean and i want it i want to be clean more than i want anything else No one else can do this for me, but you can. You are able, if only you're willing. That's the heart that Jesus was looking for earlier that he didn't see. The heart that says, at the end of the day, I have lots of things wrong with me. Wrong with me physically, wrong with me socially, but the most important one is that there is something wrong between me and God. I'm unclean and I hate it. I repent. I turn from all that has defiled me and I believe. I believe, Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Do you know that that's your deepest need? Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is looking for people who believe the good news? The good news that he has come to rescue you and me from our greatest enemy. From ourselves. Do you believe Or maybe better, how do you know if you believe? You know you believe when you see sin as the first and the greatest problem that you have. When you see sin underneath all of the other things that are wrong with you and wrong with this world. When you see it as a more ultimate cause than any other cause. When you see it as the cause that causes all the other causes. The problem for which there is no natural human solution on this earth the one that moves you to go looking for Jesus who came from heaven in order to deal with your greatest need. That's point one. You have to see your real need if you're going to go looking for Jesus in a way that he's looking for you to look for him. Second, you have to see that Jesus is willing to meet your deepest need, that he is willing to cleanse you. And this is maybe more important than a lot of us think. See, you might believe that Jesus could cleanse you that he has the power and the ability but if you think that he doesn't want to that he might not want to get involved that he's turned off by you that he's already been involved he's already helped he's already done a whole bunch of stuff for you and now he thinks man i'm just wasting my time with you if you think he's not willing you won't go to him You'll try to deal with it on your own. You'll do all of the same things that you would have done if you lived in Israel and found a spot on your arm. At first, you'll deny what you've done. You'll minimize it when you have to see it. You'll try to hide it from others, make sure that it stays stuffed down inside of you. When you can't do that effectively, you'll walk around feeling guilty, depressed, until finally you feel like there's no hope. You might as well just quit and give up. If you don't think that Jesus is willing, you'll have to try dealing with sin and with its effects on your own. And that's where the leper has an advantage over you and me, because he knows he can't deal with the uncleanness on his own. You and I have to get to that place spiritually as well that place where we realize that all of our attempts at getting better on our own will not get us anywhere. But in that moment, when we give up on our own attempts, we have to know that we can go to Jesus and not feel like he's just putting up with us, tolerating us, have way better things to do than to spend time with us, barely holding himself back, barely holding his impatience back. How do you get that kind of confidence? Well, look at how he treats this man. Several things here that tell you that he's willing, let me call your attention to two that will give you confidence that you can come to him when you need to. First, Jesus tells the man verbally, verse 41, I will be clean. He says to him, you can't see my insides. You can't see my heart for you. So I'll tell you what's really there. I'm willing. I'm not offended that you came to me, not upset that you're looking for me. This is actually why I want people to come looking for me. I am willing. I want you to be clean. First, he tells the man that he's willing. Second, and even more powerfully, verse 41, he stretched out his hand and touched him. This leprous man has probably not had anyone touch him, at least not outside of the leper community, since the priest first declared him unclean. We all long for human affection. It's one of the things that has made this pandemic so hard we're not allowed to touch each other we're not allowed to hug we're not allowed to shake hands we're not allowed to put our hand on someone else's shoulder we can't physically express how we feel about each other as human beings and that's the gift that jesus gives to this man even before the man is clean jesus reaches out to touch him and get this he doesn't need to He could have made the man well without touching him. He could have just said the word, kept his distance, but Jesus didn't. It's another expression of his heart, of how he feels inside about the man, of how God feels about the man, and about the man being trapped in his uncleanness. He's not just committing himself to this man verbally, he's doing so physically as well. He's backing up his words with his actions. And that is something that you would never do unless you were willing to make him clean. Unless you wanted deep down for something better for this man. Jesus is very willing to do whatever it takes to get rid of evil, to make people clean. And again, the question for you and me this morning is, do we believe that? Do you believe that he's willing to make you clean? How do you know if you believe? you know because you go to him when you've defiled yourself with sin. You don't deny it. You don't try to deal with it on your own. You don't explain it away. You don't try to make yourself better. You don't decide, well, I guess I'm never going to get over this. Instead, you run to him and you ask him to make you clean. So point one, your deepest need is for cleansing. Point two, Jesus is willing to make you clean. Point three, Jesus is able To make you clean what he does is effective not only is he willing for you to be clean but what he does actually works it really makes you clean Jesus touched the man and immediately verse 42 the leprosy left him immediately and surprisingly because this is not the way that's supposed to work the Old Testament made this case painfully clear That when what is clean and what is unclean come in contact, the transfer only moves in one direction. The unclean makes the clean unclean. What was clean is now defiled. Human cleanness is no match for human uncleanness. But clearly that's not what's taking place here. The leprosy left. The only conclusion that you can draw from that is that the man's uncleanness left and the only thing that happened in between was that jesus touched him and declared that he was willing to make him clean and said be clean in that case jesus's cleanness his right standing with god his ability to stand in the presence of god that was powerful enough to overcome the man's defilement jesus is the clean that makes the unclean clean and he does so instantly immediately no hesitation no waiting now sadly what Jesus did here with this leper was also just a picture the man's leprosy left his physical uncleanness left but not his sinful rebellious stance against God not his spiritual uncleanness Verse 43, Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. Well, we learn verse 45, that the man went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places. Jesus could speak, be clean. And that was enough to deal with the man's physical uncleanness, but it was not enough to deal with his spiritual uncleanness. His leprosy left. It obeyed God. But the man himself did not obey God. He did exactly the opposite of what Jesus told him to do. Now he was physically whole. He's still not spiritually whole. For that to happen, Jesus would have to do a lot more than speak. He would have to actually trade places with the man he would have to allow the man's uncleanness to make him unclean and he'd have to suffer all the consequences of being unclean you get a hint a little bit of foreshadowing of what that's going to mean in verse 45 after jesus touched the man he and the man physically traded places among the people of god jesus is now where the man was out in a desolate place unable to enter a town while the man takes his place no longer barred from the community man is no longer cut off from god's people now he can go freely among them and this is a picture it's a very small picture of what's coming for jesus that he's going to have to trade places with all of god's people that he will take on their spiritual uncleanness so that they can have his spiritual cleanness Only he will do so in reality, spiritually. He will make himself unfit to stand in God's presence, unable to approach God. He's going to be so defiled that God will abandon him, forsake him on the cross, cut Jesus off from the only community that he'd ever known, the community of God that is life, that is health, that is purity itself. And he would do that so that when you believe, that Jesus is not only willing to trade places with you, but actually will do so if you ask him to, then you can be immediately free from sin, immediately free from guilt, immediately brought into the presence of God with nothing ever to stand in the way again. That's the price. That's how hard it is to deal with sin. That's what it takes. It takes Jesus being willing to take your place, and that's how much he wants you to be free of sin. He did it willingly, so that you would be free from defilement, so that you could come to God. So one last time this morning, the question is, do you believe that? Do you believe the good news? How do you know? The answer is in how you respond when you fail now, how you respond when you sin now do you respond knowing that jesus is not only willing but effective in dealing with your defilement do you respond knowing that his once for all sacrifice really did remove all of your guilt for all time that you are completely loved right now that you cannot be more loved right now and you cannot be less loved than you already are do you believe that Or do you try to do things to prop yourself up? Do you come quickly to Jesus when you fail or do you try to hide what you've done from him and from others? Do you build your worth and your value in Christ's righteousness alone or do you let yourself pretend that you're better than you are? Do you try to communicate to other people that you're better than you are? Do you know that God's acceptance of you is all that you need or do you try to guard And protect your reputation do you gladly share your life with others or do you live in fear that if they get to know you they might see the real you and that you'll be exposed do you see the log in your own eye or do you ignore it by pointing out the speck in someone else's do you rejoice in a God who loves someone who struggles as much as you do Or do you work hard so that everybody else sees how good you are do you believe do you believe that what Jesus did in his death and resurrection really was enough or do you still try to handle your failings on your own have you repented and believed that God has come to rescue you and is here for you or are you still looking for something other than the good news of the kingdom of God have you repented and believed Are you still in that process? Lord Jesus, none of us repents like we need to. None of us believes like we need to. Lord, our salvation is not dependent on the goodness of our faith. Lord, it's dependent on the strength of what you've done. Lord, take our feeble repentance and turbocharge it. Lord, take our little faith and make it strong lord god give us hearts that long for you more than we long for anything else lord give us hearts that see how desperate we are but give us hearts lord that see how great your love is for desperate people lord do that move us toward you this morning in jesus name amen
0: Let's stand.